0: Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Not here to drive, just
1: here to steer. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator.
2: And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic.
1: And you, lovely listener, are back in our driver's
0: seat. Caution, baby on board.
2: This quote is by Alice Miller. All children are born to grow, to develop, to live, to love, and to articulate their needs and feelings for their self-protection.
0: Last week, we talked about choosing to have a child. This week, we're going to take a look at the first six years of your child's life. I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure these are some pretty formative, vital years to human development. And speaking of human development, Don, you weren't always interested in psychology, right?
1: Didn't you start out as an engineer or something? Why did you shift to psychology? You're absolutely right. I did start as an engineer in aerospace engineering, as a matter of fact. And I took a human development class and it fascinated me in ways that engineering just couldn't match. And human development still fascinates me today. It's a cool little fact that in the first three years of life, infants are laying down one million neural connections per minute. And programming those connections to work together seamlessly for the rest of their lives. That's just amazing to me. Hardware and software developing together and happening at such a rapid rate. And how can you not be fascinated with that? The brain and all of its connections to to every muscle, bone, and organ in the body are rapidly developing in this period through a combination of nature, the genetics of stuff, and nurture, the environmental factors. Parents have already done their contribution to genetics, and there isn't much to do about it after that. The environment is where parenting has a powerful role. Parents are engaging in a continuous game of serve and return with their child. Parents learn what the different cries their child is making mean, and the baby emits and responds with greater accuracy to each of these serves and responses. The child refines communication as their needs are met, or perhaps even when they're not met. (laughs) They figure out, hey, that didn't work, I gotta do something different. From early games of peekaboo to reading books and turning pages, the child is learning cause and effect. They are also learning trust versus mistrust. Each of these interactions causes neurons to fire, and as the saying goes, neurons that fire together, wire together. This is the essence of learning and habit formation. Parents don't have to respond to every serve. These missed moments don't have to become dysfunctional patterns unless they become the predominant response to the child's behavior. Learning your child's cues and responding well leads to strong attachment. Too many missed cues or responding poorly to your child's behavior can create attachment problems later on in life. This becomes a challenge, and this is the pathway parents need to navigate with their kids in these first very formative years. I'm talking right here about the first three of the six, but really throughout these first six years. Kim, do you have anything to add to that?
2: Childhood is super interesting and and really cool, and the opportunity I have to work with is mostly with kids over the age of six, so I'm sure we'll talk more about Uh, those dynamics at a later date, but working with kids is really cool to see how they're engaging with the environment. For me, one of the most interactive pieces is the making eye contact um, and the, you know, weird hand gestures and funny noises kids make when they're trying to communicate, which, as mentioned, those are the cues that people respond to. And kids learn really quickly what cues are effective and what aren't. A lot of babies will cry louder to get attention. And babies with multiple older siblings uh, sometimes have to make even more noise to be able to be heard over the crowd. And so being able to see and explore those different dynamics with kids is a cool experience.
0: Can y'all talk a little bit about what you mean by attachment? What, what's a good attachment? And what's an example of an attachment problem?
2: Think of attachment as your connection to somebody else almost if you view it as a rope tied from you to somebody else, that's attachment. And it's this deep underlying connection that we have to somebody else. And whether it feels safe or not so safe, sometimes it might be a little tattered. That's where you're running into the attachment problems that we speak of. And that's kind of the underlying image I have when I think of attachment to ourselves and to our others as well. I can get more into the nitty gritty here in just a little bit, but Don, what's your kind of definition?
1: Kim, you were hitting right on it. So attachment has to do with how well connected we are to other people in our world. And in this particular description, it's about the connection to other people. And the connection is what creates a sense of safety or familiarity So when we're around people that we have a strong and secure attachment with, we often feel very secure and safe. It's easier to explore things or to to encounter new things when we're around folks that we know and that we have a level of trust with. When we don't have a very good attachment or we don't know the people, so there's not even been a chance yet to create one. It feels more like scary, difficult, dangerous All of those words would describe it. So you know when you're in an attached environment because you feel relaxed, safe, and secured. And you know when you're in a not attached situation when you feel kind of anxious and scared. So think about going in and meeting primarily new people and you have no friends around. It's just you and all of these strangers. How anxious do you feel? Part of that is because there's no attachment figure that's there. Now imagine going into that same room, same number of people, but you have one or two really good friends, close associates, people with whom you have a longer or deeper attachment and consider how much safer you feel, even though the environment really isn't much different. Does that make sense? I think so. So it's a
0: factor of a relationship. At first, I thought it might be a sort of a synonym for relationship, but it's more an attribute. Like you could have a frayed attachment like Kim mentioned, or a strong attachment or a longer term attachment. And that would affect how you feel about that relationship and how it plays into the other relationships that are happening around you. Yes. In the space you're in. Cool. So does all of that get developed in this first six year period that we're talking
1: about?
2: The foundations for it do.
1: Right. So this develops over your entire life. Uh, and lots of factors. You can be securely attached in the first half of your life and then tragedy hits and your attachments become very difficult for the second half of your life. I've seen that happen with folks who have lost a spouse to cancer and it was a grueling experience for them. But the, the foundation, the basis for all of this begins here in the first six years.
0: So how can a parent help their child attach well?
2: Well, I want to do a little bit of history with the attachment styles first. In 1969, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth did a bunch of research around attachment with children. It was mainly discovered that there are four main attachment styles, secure, anxious-insecure, anxious-avoidant, and disorganized. A secure relationship is when a child is maybe a little bit nervous, anxious, uh, confused when a caregiver originally leaves, and then is comforted again when the caregiver comes back. So imagine a caregiver of a child has to go to the bathroom. And so when they initially leave, the kid's like, oh, gosh, what's happening? Where did this person go? And then it's kind of like, okay. And then the caregiver comes back and they're like, ah, perfect, you're back.
0: Is this kind of like the normal mode? Is this what we want? A secure attachment?
2: Yes, we are looking for a secure attachment. Cool. An anxious, insecure attachment is when a child is upset when the caregiver leaves, which is pretty normal. But when they return, they're then very, very clingy. So they want to hold on to the caregiver. They're very insistent that this person stay here. Don't leave me again. And that's that insecure experience of, I fear that you will leave and not come back the next time. There's a lot of fear underlying that type of relationship. An anxious avoidant relationship attachment style is when the child just doesn't care. So caregiver leaves, and the child's like, okay, um, bye. And then the caregiver comes back and they're like, I sup, how's things? And there's not really a emotional level change across the two experiences. The last style is disorganized. This is pretty typical on kids who have been emotionally or physically abused. It's one where they struggle feeling comforted by anyone, even people who are not abusive. A good image that goes with this is if your hand is really, really, really cold, like you've been out in the snow all day without gloves. And you come in and you wash your hands in normal temperature water, it still feels like your hand is burning off. And that's kind of this disorganized attachment. It doesn't matter what's there, it all hurts. So those are the four attachment styles. Any questions?
0: What in the anxious avoidant one, if the emotional state is pretty level, where, where is the anxiety there?
1: In the anxious avoidant, they are cutting off all relationships. So I will be indifferent to relationships because they are not reliable. The anxiety has to do with, I'm so anxious that you'll hurt me if I connect to you in any way that I stay contained within myself. Okay. That makes sense.
2: Anxious has more to do with the uncertainty.
1: Right. Right. And it's also the emotion that is underneath both of those behavioral expressions. So... Those are the four types.
2: Yeah. What's really cool is parents basically have to respond correctly one out of three times in regards to creating a securely attached child. That's the minimum. So let's aim to do higher, but (laughs) one out of three times and you've got your kid kind of tracking along the right pathway to a secure attachment.
0: That seems like a lot of pressure. One out of three is a lot of pressure. I just feel like I would be terrified that I missed one. That I didn't know about, you know, like that thing in the eye doctor where it like <laughs> shakes a little bit and you have to click the button. Yes, I'm very uh, anxious and insecure about that machine.
2: You you're an overpresser.
0: <laughs> you know, I think I usually score really well on it, but I always think that
1: I've failed it entirely.
2: I think that says something else about you, other than your attachment styles.
1: You think a uh, one out of three is a lot, but the reality is, is that kids give us tons and tons of opportunities to provide this reinforcement and it's actually healthy for them to not get every single one of their bids for attention met so that they learn how to delay gratification uh, and to self-soothe so really your target isn't to hit a hundred percent of these cues that would create another set of problems Your target is to hit enough of these cues that you are a dependable and reliable connection for the child, but not perfect.
2: Basically, what you're looking for is if you leave the room, your kid knows that you're going to come back and everything's going to be okay. Well, maybe not everything, but they'll know that things will be okay and that you're returning.
0: If uh, I'm looking for signs that my hypothetical child is securely attached What kind of behaviors am I looking for?
1: Well, so at different ages, slightly different things. Think of the toddler. So somewhere between 10 months and 18 months. This is a child who's exploring the world. Yep, kind of walking around with their arms out and they they look like a drunk sailor. This child, uh, if you go to a new person's home and you sit down on the couch with your friend and you're talking, the child will begin by grabbing your leg and looking around the room. And then will let go of your leg and wander off in the room, get toward a, a bookshelf, stop, turn around and look at you to make sure you're still there. And if everything is okay, they continue to explore. But if they get scared by something, they'll come running back and grab your leg. That's a sign of secure attachment.
0: How much of that is determined by like the child's individual personality though, right? Because some kids are more adventurous than others. So, you know, some toddlers may check in when they get, I don't know, six feet away or every few minutes. And others might just disappear to the next room and then get lost. And that would mess. I mean, that would coincide with this attachment thing because the kid doesn't really know better. So they go to a different room, look for the parent, can't find them. Now they're having a bad attachment experience, but it's their own fault because
1: they're too adventurous. (laughs) You're absolutely correct. And remember, the genetics part, that's the part you're referring to genetics part is already laid down. So that temperament style that you just described is already there. You measure your child against their temperament style. So if you have a child who is more timid, likes to just watch the world and not particularly interact with it, then even them letting go of your leg but standing near you might be an adventurous sign demonstrating secure attachment. If you have the kid you described that's, you know, 32 miles down the road smoking a cigarette at the bar when you finally find them, that's the the measure that you're using uh, for that child.
0: Wow, they grow up so fast. <laughs> I really want to know how that toddler got 32 miles away.
1: There's one more thing about that last one, right? So when the kid also has this secure attachment and they are both comfortable because they can leave and return and everything stays good and solid and connected, that's the same thing that we want even as adults, particularly in our romantic relationships, We want to be able to separate from the person that we love with trust and conviction that when we return, things will be the same and we can be uh, well connected when we come back. And this comes from a partner who does what they say they're going to do pretty reliably. And that reliability becomes a cornerstone of the attachment and the romantic relationship, just like it is for the parent who reliably notices and cares for the needs of the child. The attachment styles aren't specifically linked to
0: childhood development. They are broadly relationship attributes. But I had forgotten that because we were talking about kids. It's cool that you can apply the same information to your romantic relationships or even just other relationships in your life. It's pretty crazy that all of this attachment stuff is happening in that first six year period. And it's going to affect that person for the rest of their life.
1: Yeah, it is. And think of it like building a house. The relationship of the parents is like the ground you choose upon which to build this house. Is that ground shifting sands? Is it hard rock? Or maybe it's rich soil covering a solid bedrock. A swampy marsh. Could be a swampy marsh. I didn't even think of that one. That's a good metaphor too. But the relationship of the parents is really that ground upon which the foundation is going to be laid. And that exists before the house is even thought of to build. The foundation comes next, and that foundation is the part we're talking about here, and it's fitted to the environment upon which you are building. So how you make that foundation, what it's made of, is a combination of the quality of the parental relationship and the interactions of each parent with the child. So sometimes you know, parents aren't together when the child is in this you know, zero to six age range. And you can still build a solid foundation because it's about the relationship with each parent. It will have rocky parts in it and difficult parts in that foundation because there's not the modeling of the connection between two parents. Or maybe there's, you know, there can be lots of different things. The foundation, though, is laid in those key relationships. The next levels of the house, though, those come from a myriad of relationships that start to expand for the child from age six onward.
0: That would be like early friendships and then eventually crushes or that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Given that the parents are such a major factor in shaping this foundation, which in turn is such an important factor of this human... What can they do to prepare the building site or, I mean, to make the ground a good environment, not a swampy marsh for this foundation to be built upon?
2: You want to develop a secure attachment with your partner. Just like raising a kid, this is a behavioral thing. You want to be reliable in what you do and in what you say. You want to be credible. If you don't know a thing, just say that. I don't know it. And that's okay. It is okay to not know things. When you do know, don't be condescending about it. Be approachable, allow influence, be attentive. You're looking to be connected, but not overly connected to your partner. You're two individual people learning to create a common ground. We have talked a ton about the language you use with your partner being more uplifting and allowing influence from them. You want to spend time talking about your experiences and who you are and who you want to be as parents and what you want to do or not do when you're raising your kids. You want to have a good, I mean, foundation. You want to have a good environment for the foundation of their childhood to be built from. And that's just the start. There's, of course, many more aspects to this. But it all starts with creating a secure relationship with your partner.
0: That makes sense to me. I mean, I guess it's easier said than done,
1: but it seems pretty straightforward. You know, that's one of the things that fascinates me about psychology and human development. Most of it is pretty straightforward. And a lot of it is pretty obvious once you start to describe it. The challenge is, no matter how straightforward or obvious it is, people struggle to do it on a consistent basis.
0: Yeah. And that's why you have a job.
1: That is why I have a job.
0: I think that's going to do it for us today, right? Yeah. How are you going to do this summary? I'm going to talk about what we talked about, but right. shorter. <laughs> do it. This week we talked about the first six years of a child's life, which include a ton of important developments, but the ones we focused on are attachments. And we talked about the four types of attachments and what you really want for your child are secure attachments. So we also talked about how to be a consistent, reliable relationship for your child, which will build the foundation for them to have secure attachments as they move out into the world beyond the first six years and develop more relationships. If you have any questions or comments about what we talked about this week, don't forget you can email us at questions at And if you love the show, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And share it with your friends.
3: Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services. From original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com.
1: Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face.